When a white-led organization like ours is the recipient from a white-led foundation of funding that's meant to be directed towards BIPOC land sovereignty work, that's the indication of a problem, or at the very least, it shows how far we have to go as a state in terms of meeting our goals or my goals, and I think commitments that we should all make around BIPOC, racial equity, and justice. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. The Vermont Land Trust was founded in 1977 and is now one of the oldest and largest land conservation groups in the country. It has helped protect more than 620,000 acres in Vermont, comprising about 11% of the state. Vermont Land Trust began with a simple goal of conserving land and supporting farmers. But things are no longer so simple. Who can claim the right to land that was once taken from indigenous people? How has racism shaped who owns land? Today, VLT is confronting issues of racial and economic justice. I spoke about the new face of land conservation with Nick Richardson, who has been president and CEO of Vermont Land Trust since 2017. The Land Trust was founded before he was born, but his family has deep connections to the organization. Uh, My personal roots, though, really connect with the organization. My grandfather, Pete Richardson, um, was involved in the founding of the Ottaquichi Land Trust at that time. Um, And so my connection to VLT goes way back, and I'm profoundly interested in the work that we've done for the last 40 years to protect Vermont's landscape. Um, We're one of the largest land trusts in the country in one of the smallest states in the country. And it's a really incredible legacy that we have here. We, we work in every community across the state. And the, you know, the commitment and the, just the belief, the faith that conserving landowners have when they work with us to put a conservation easement on their land is a really powerful thing. We have a tremendous amount of respect for that here. Um, And we are also trying to expand the work of the Vermont Land Trust uh, to make sure that the benefits of conservation reach a much broader set of people, much broader set of Vermonters. And in some ways are really focused on the issues that are most affecting us in Vermont at this time. You know, we're really driven by this question, what does Vermont need from us today? Recognizing that that's the same question that drove our founders. Um, and that the answers are different. You know, they include the work that we've done, um, but they're also asking us to be so much more in this time. And we're really, we're really excited about that. So the, the evolution of the organization and, and the new logo and all the ways in which we're communicating with people are really our way of trying to um, send a message around that and to ask a much broader uh, set of people to join with us. What do you feel like are the key ways that... Um land conservation has changed and what Vermont needs from you have changed since the founding of the organization in the late 70s? Yeah, thanks, David. It's a question we think about a lot. And, you know, I would say um, that what is changing uh, in our state um, is that we're really starting to see some of the impacts of um, climate change, I think, is a really important issue that is changing how we're focusing and other conservation partners are focusing our energy. We all have to be thinking about 
getting this landscape ready for the climate change that's already here and the climate change that will come. And that's, that's a lot about water and how water runs through this system um, and protecting our forests so that they can be healthy and resilient over time. So that's, you know, that's one issue that maybe, you know, we've always understood that protecting large, large forests and paying a lot of attention to the water and water quality aspects in our farmland was important. But we have this urgent issue now, this urgent sense um, that we need to accomplish some key goals in order to in order to really meet the moment um, and prepare this state for the change that has come and, and still is coming. So I think I think that's one um, really important example. Well, let me ask about that. You mentioned water and the problem of farm runoff has really reached a critical point where, you know, large parts of the Lake Champlain waterfront have to be shut down every summer due to uh, algae blooms that are a result of farm runoff. And yet we know farms are struggling. Uh, so how do you balance these competing interests? Yeah, the, the water quality issues around Lake Champlain are really important. And, um, you know, I, uh, I've seen the impacts myself, right? You can experience them going down to the lake. That, um, this, is a, this is an issue that affects all of us. And it's got um, a bunch of different causes Farm runoff is certainly a part of it. Um, you know, aging uh, water treatment uh, systems and facilities in municipalities um, and runoff from, from large, larger cities in our state that are close to the lake are also part of the mix. And so, you know, development and the, the uh, evidence is pretty clear that development um, and urban runoff and, and farm runoff are about equal um, contributors to the water quality problem that we have in the state um, and in Lake Champlain in particular, but clearly there's something needs to happen with how we're managing our farmland. And in fact, you know, many of the farmers that we work with have taken incredible strides to change their agricultural practices. Um, and we're working hand in glove with them to develop um, riparian buffer systems. So replanting the edges of farm fields uh, with native species that grow into trees that help to manage and, and stop runoff from happening. Um, establishing new wetland complexes so that, you know, land that may have been farmed in the past can be returned to its natural function and be part of soaking up nutrients and, and slowing down water, both of those being really important parts of the solution overall. I really, I'm really excited about these wetland complex restorations. The opportunities exist on nearly every uh, large farm in Vermont and working together with the Department of Environmental Conservation and, and other par partners, we've been able to map those, identify them and start to bring resources towards returning them into function. And this is great for farmers too. You know, wetland wetlands are not necessarily um, areas that provide the best output in terms of farming. And so being able to get support and resources to return those to function has been something that we've we've seen people meet um, have met that with a lot of positivity. How, and how do you ensure that when you um, conserve a land for uh, agricultural use that it's not part of the problem? Uh, you've mentioned some ways, um, uh, but are there specific things you do to make sure these farms 
help and don't hurt the... Uh... Yeah, Dave, I, I think that's actually a really good example of the evolution of the organization um, and the evolution of our understanding of what needs to go along with a conservation easement in order for it to be effective. And I mentioned these riparian buffers and sort of building in this, this barrier between the farmland and the stream or the waterway. And that's not something that's always been in a conservation easement. It's been our, you know, we've learned along with our partners that, um, you know, that's an important aspect to include, um, that, that's, that, that creating those water quality protections are an essential part of the conservation work. So the easements that we're putting in place today in terms of the water quality protections uh, look very different from easements that were done 10 or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, in terms of the environmental protection that's coming into place. You know, I think we have to um, provide farmers across the state with the resources in order to um, be a part of the solution around water quality. And, um, and Vermont also has a regulatory framework that I think is, is in place to help support that as well. And so all these pieces really need to work together in order to ensure um, water quality going forward. I also think we see that the nature of farming is changing and we're seeing the diversification of farming. So a lot of new different types of farming coming into Vermont. You know, I think we've, we've all sort of seen that happening where, you know, where there might've been a dairy farm in the past, there's now a flower farm or a diversified vegetable farm um, or even a beef farm. And each of these, um, you know, has the opportunity to change the environmental impact of that, that farm operation and contribute both to a more ecologically sound and, and resilient farm landscape overall, um, and also to a more diversified farm economy. So, so that's, uh, you actually led me to the next thing I want to talk about in terms of change and changing needs. You know, we have this intergenerational transfer of land happening in Vermont. Um, and we are very focused as an organization in helping to get that next generation of farmers su successfully established on land in Vermont. And that includes conservation, but it's also financing, wraparound supports, working with partners to ensure that um, those new and beginning farmers have business plans and um, access to the right kind of land that matches their business type. And we've seen this, you know, with a little bit of that support, we've seen this incredible proliferation of really exciting new businesses that are coming out of the farm landscape. Um, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm really most proud of that we've done over the last five years. Um, last year, Vermont Land Trust received a $6 million gift to help farmers buy land and grow their businesses, and some of that was set aside specifically for BIPOC farming initiatives, and it raised the issue of whose land this is. Uh, in a story on Vermont Public Radio, Amber Arnold, who's co-executive director of the Susu Community Farm, which is an Afro-Indigenous farm in Brattleboro, she stated, quote, this is stolen money. These are resources that have been stolen from our murdered ancestors. And so when I'm seeing that there is a $6 million gift going to an all-white organization based out of a partnership with three white-led organizations, and I see no black and brown organizations as part of this powerful decision-making and development structure, I feel a lot of deep concern and sadness, close quote. How do you respond to that? I think Amber's really got a point, David. Um, you know, we are we are uh, working very hard and close, in fact, closely with SUSU um, and with other partner BIPOC organizations to make sure that this 
money uh, that was meant to support land sovereignty work moves to the hands of BIPOC-led organizations and efforts. Um, but it, it is kind of inexcusable. And I think that's what I said at that same press conference in the article that you were alluding to. Um, I think it's a sign uh, that a, when a white-led organization, um, we're not an entirely white organization, but we are very much a white-led organization, and in many ways a white organization. Um, when a white-led organization like ours is the recipient from a white-led foundation of funding that's meant to be directed towards BIPOC land sovereignty work, that's the indication of a problem, or at the very least, it shows how far we have to go as a state in terms of meeting our goals or my goals. And I think commitments that we should all make around BIPOC racial equity and justice. And that's really uncomfortable and hard work. Um, and we're really committed to it. We're, really, we're close, working very closely with those partners. But yeah, I think she's really got a point, Dave. It's something we should all listen to. I, I have to say, as I was um, looking around the Vermont Land Trust um, website, there was not a, a photo of a single person of color outside of one BIPOC farm, uh, in, I think it was in Colchester. Um, so it really underscored her point. Um, what exactly is Vermont Land Trust doing to address these issues of racial equity when it comes to land conservation and who has access to land? Yeah, I mean, we're uh, working very closely with a number of organizations on land access projects right now. We have about a half dozen of them that are going on right at this point, Dave. Um, so, and we are also engaged in the process to work with BIPOC organizations um, and community members to allocate the funding that the High Meadows Fund uh, gifted to us to support land sovereignty projects. So I think what you're seeing from the Vermont Land Trust is a real prioritization of projects that involve BIPOC-led organizations and communities. And just to um, move beyond the acronym for a second, we're, you know, we're working actively with every band of the Abenaki on land access projects, including several that have been completed in the last year. Um, we are working with uh, BIPOC-led community farms all across the state. We're involved in projects with the Nefolk Land Trust in every town. Um, so we're very actively engaging in actual ongoing conservation and land access projects with these organizations and people. Can, can you just describe one of them to give us a flavor of what that looks like? Sure. I'll, I'll talk about one that's done. You know, I feel more comfortable doing that. Um, it's a, it even feels like a balancing act for me in terms of appropriating story. So that's part of what is going on for me here. Um, but I think one that we've done that we could talk about is uh, Wontastagok down in Brattleboro. Um, we identified working with the El New Band of the Abenaki down there and Rich Holshue, who's their spokesperson. He's not their chief, but he's, their, he's a spokesperson of theirs. Um, we identified a petroglyph site. So a, um, an old stone carving site um, that's actually partially submerged on the confluence of the, um, of the West River and um, 
in the Connecticut River down in Brattleboro and a 75 acre parcel that contains those petroglyph sites that was, was um, slated for development. And the Vermont Land Trust purchased that land and we're holding it now under an agreement with the Elnu Band um, where they have rights of ownership and access that are complete. And for a period of time now, we're, we're working with them on identifying what their ultimate land ownership strategy is going to be, but we're, we're holding it and keeping that land available um, and have raised funds, you know, specifically for that project. So when the time comes, that land can go to the Alnu without any cost to them. And hopefully with a stewardship endowment that could help them to support the upkeep of that property um, for some time. Um, so that's just, I think, one example. Um, there, there's going to be a, there are many more that are in the works right now, and you'll see them coming out over the next year. But um, yeah. Let, let me uh, ask about climate change. It's um, not necessarily something that leaps to mind as people think about land conservation. Um, how is, and certainly it's front and center in what the future of the landscape is going to look like in Vermont in how it's being changed by and affected by the climate. So how does that interact, um, land con the work you're doing and climate change? And, and if you could be specific, uh, I know this, uh, you know, talk about uh, work you've been doing on carbon capture or carbon uh, trading with forests in Vermont. So give us a, an idea of what that looks like. Sure, thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, I, um, I say thank you because I, you know, I think climate is a really important issue and I'm proud of the work that we're doing here um, it, it is kind of, you can sort of paint with a broad brush, brush and say anything we're doing in terms of e preserving ecological values and, and supporting good land management is a good thing to do in the face of climate. But I think your point is a good one. There are also, we need to get specific about it. And there are certainly some strategies that might have more of an impact than others. Um, you know, and I, I do think, I mean, this is an issue that's sort of under the surface for all of us. It's, you know, asking about the weather used to be a very benign thing to do, and it's just not anymore. Um, and it's a, it's a change that we all are grappling with and need to work, work on together. Um, you know, the, the carbon work has been really interesting. We, we have participated in a project partnering with Cold Hollow to Canada, a regional conservation partnership, which is up in the northern part of the state in Montgomery, Bakersfield, Belvedere, um, you know, close by to Jay, Mount, Jay Mountain, for those who know the area, and, and maybe ski there. Um, a great group of landowners um, who worked with us to do an amazing thing. Um, we did the first aggregated forest carbon project in the country and brought together for the first time private landowners um, and that were sort of had smaller parcels together into one larger project. Um, to do a forest carbon project on their land. And um, this was a really exciting accomplishment. No one had ever done it before. Um, and we worked together with Cold Hollow. The, the, the landowners were all participating in that group um, and, um, and also partnered with the Nature Conservancy around marketing the credits from the project. At the end of the day, we were able to generate revenue from the credits that were being stored in that forest for the landowners to support really high quality ecological stewardship of their lands. You know, so um, doing the kind of land management, restoration work, 
selective harvesting um, that, that leads to really good outcomes in terms of overall ecological management and biodiversity of the properties, um, but and also sequesters a significant amount of carbon. And it's, you know, the project has been great in and of itself. I think for me, the thing that was most exciting about it was, and has been the most exciting thing about it, has been the opportunity it creates to talk with a lot of different people, Vermonters and beyond, about the value of forests. You know, these forests around us were 75, 80% forested in Vermont. And for most of us, that's just a conceptual thing. It's hard to kind of, unless you go deep into them as an explorer or backcountry skier. Um, it's, but it's a, it's a massive carbon sink. And, um, and it has all these other benefits to it as well in terms of wildlife diversity, um, species uh, migration, um, water quality, you know, we can come back around to it. And so just, just the valuing of the carbon in these trees was a wonderful way to talk to people about the value of the forests that surround them all the time. In terms of value, I understand Amazon, the company, not the the, uh, the part of South America, um, also used part of this in its carbon offsets. Um, what kind of dollar, uh, you know, revenue has it been generating? Um, I, I can't give the specifics, Dave, but I will say, you know, for the landowners, we're talking about, you know, significant incremental revenue up on top of their, you know, what they're earning from sugaring or from timbering. Um, it's made a real difference. And, you know, I think we're starting to see, you know, we continue to look at the markets and we see carbon prices are going up. And, you know, I think it's going to continue to be something that is, you know, is uh, in the conversation and active here in Vermont and in the region. Um, because there's a lot of demand. It is also very controversial. And, you know, there are people who have very different perspectives one way or the other about offsets and um, pricing and additionality. And so, you know, it's something that we're, you know, we're really aware of. And we designed this project very carefully um, to make sure it was meeting with our values. And that, that was something that was really important to the landowners as well. Why uh, is it controversial? Um, I think there are some people... There, there are perspectives that, uh, that when carbon offsets are generated, um, then essentially somebody else somewhere in a different system is getting to claim the benefits of your carbon. So that they're and, allowed to pollute more. Yeah, or right, or pollute more or claim that as part of their overall program for polluting less. And, and um, you know, I think it's... it's um, it's certainly a very live debate and conversation in the in the um, forest conservation community, and uh, you know I think there I think there's some interesting perspectives on all sides of that one. Well, uh, finally, Nick, reflecting on this almost 45 year history of Vermont Land Trust, what are you proudest of that VLT has accomplished? It's community, Dave. We are, if you look at the map of the work that we've done and where our people live and, and the projects they engage with and the way that they do, you know, we're part of the Vermont fabric. We are at work and live in every community. We serve, we serve and work with Vermonters of every stripe. Um, we care deeply about this place and all the people who live in it. And I think it's that ethic, you know, it's the ethic of service. Um, of doing a lot with the resources that we have, 
of really taking the long view and thinking about the long term. Um, what would Vermont I, look like today if there were no Vermont Land Trust? You know, there'd be, there could be a lot more spread development in certain places. I think there'd be a lot less farms and a lot less possibility about the future of farming here. Uh, there'd be there'd be a lot fewer places where communities had forests or town resources that were dedicated to public access and recreation, a lot less places. Uh, there'd be no bike path in Newport City. Um, there'd be no Bluffside Farm. Uh, there, you know, there'd be a lot of places if you took the land trust out of the fabric of Vermont, uh, it would be a, in some ways, more vacant place. Uh, and so we're, we feel really honored to be a part of um, continuing to bring vitality and energy into Vermont in a way that's very much about our value, our values, our shared values here in Vermont, and, uh, and a vision for this place that is connected to land. Well, Nick Richardson, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. David, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much.